Fertility Matters, Ireland's newest fertility podcast, brought to you by ReproMed. You're very welcome to Fertility Matters, Ireland's newest podcast delving into all things fertility. Fertility Matters is brought to you by ReproMed, the leading fertility and IVF clinic in Ireland. I'm Susan Kyo, and today I'm joined by Aoife Corley, clinical midwife manager, and Claire Moran, laboratory manager at ReproMed. Thank you both for joining us today. Um, we want to start, Aoife, I might come to you first, I guess. You know, information is power for a lot of people when it comes to fertility. Um, as midwife manager at ReproMed, what do you say to people in terms of getting their ducks in a row or at least giving them the information to know where they stand in terms of how much time they might have left if babies are on their radar? Is it something that people should know where they're at? I think it is important and especially with our current lifestyle. Mm. You know, we are putting off having children till a later age and sometimes by the time people come into us, it is, you know, their mid to late 30s. Their options mightn't be as many as they might have been even five years previous to that. So I think if we can kind of get the message out to say to women, especially in kind of their, their early 30s, they're not in a position to have a baby or, you know, they're thinking about it might be something down the line, it mightn't be something for them, but they don't really know. To get kind of basic information on their fertility status, you know, what their AMH is like, which is their ovarian reserve, if that's in a, a good place, there's no magic number, but if that's kind of reasonable, well, then maybe they mightn't look at it again for another year or two. Whereas if that's, that number comes back, it's a little bit worrying. Maybe they might look at other options, even if they're not in a, in a position to have a baby, they might look at you know, fertility preservation. Is that a pretty straightforward, easy enough conversation if somebody's listening or watching us now and they're thinking, yeah, you know, I want that information. I, want to ha- I, I don't want to leave it until it's too late. I want to know where I stand. Is it as straightforward if they come to ReproMed? Would that be the first port of call for those couple of initial tests? That would be one of the main tests. The AMH is something we actually offer pre-consultation so that we have that number back before you meet with our doctors. Um, they'll be able then to talk through what the implications of that number are. Now, obviously, depending on what that result is, there's other investigations may be warranted. There might be more advice given at that point with regards to options. But to have that initial piece of information to kind of make a decision on, am I going to start down this rabbit hole or am I just going to park this for the time being and think about it in a year or two's time? And I guess uh, as midwife manager, all you can do is, is lay out those facts. Or, or And sometimes they're not even facts. Sometimes I suppose they're estimates of different things. And then it is up to the person to be armed with that information and go away and maybe have a think about it but you're there to inform them exactly and to kind of guide them with regards to okay you're 31 this is the number that's fine you know that's within normal you know limits for what it is whereas you're 35 it's coming back a little on the low side maybe we'll have a conversation now about doing something sooner rather than later um, Claire, let me bring you in. I wanted to talk a little bit about male infertility because I think it's something that gets completely uh, sidelined often. And I have even known people myself and spoken to people that, you know, they might go down this journey for six or seven months before they realise, actually, hang on, maybe the problem lies elsewhere. And it is often something that's not looked at at the beginning. It, it certainly should be. It takes two to tango, as they say. The focus is always really on the woman because mm-hmm. she's the one having menstrual cycles. She's the one that has the negative pregnancy tests every month. So So in a couple, it's often the woman takes it all on board and we see that so many times. But we have to remember that 
if in any fertility cohort of people, 30% will be called the, of their fertility factor will be caused by a female factor, 30% by a male factor, and 30% either unknown or a combination of both. Okay. So male factor infertility is a huge thing that we do need to take on board. And we see that so many times that, you know, the man is pushed in the door of our clinic, you know, by a woman who's after been trying for a, a year or, you know, longer. And then we find out there's a problem. Or in many cases, um, if a man has a child in a previous relationship, they, they assume, oh, sure, you're okay. It's all my fault, you know, in terms of the woman. And then we can find out actually there is a, f a factor here because male fertility declines as well. And especially, it's very prone to lifestyle factors and things like that. So it can go up and it can go down. I mean, if a man had a really good, you know, was very healthy in his 20s and had a baby back then, suddenly in his 30s, maybe watching a bit more TV or, you know, just it puts on a bit of weight or something, that can affect sperm counts. And people never take that into consideration that maybe a sperm count can decline over time because of those factors or maybe they're sitting more at work and it's just some little things really that can affect male fertility. So sperm could age in the same way as eggs can then? Well, not or in the same way. No, men make sperm all the time. So okay. every day they make new sperm. Women start out with a certain amount of eggs and they never make any more eggs. So they're the same eggs you have from when you were born as to what you have today. Whereas men, they make sperm all the time. So it's, it's very much influenced by external factors. So, you know, there's lots of research to show that hot baths, saunas, they all reduce the motility of sperm. So it can be something that just happens, you know, one day or for a week or, and it, it affects that sperm then for about three months. Aoife, do you find that maybe that there's a disconnect there when people come into you if you're dealing with a woman and you're, you might be giving this information, she might think, oh, well, he's not going to hear this or what, you know, that it's kind of, they're probably, men often aren't as invested in the researching of this topic, maybe was probably, is probably the best way to put it than women are sometimes. There certainly is that factor. As mm -hmm. Claire said, a lot of them are kind of show up at the door, kind of arms folded, don't oh, want to be here. Longer. I've been brought along. I don't know what I'm going to do. And sometimes it, when it does show up that there is a male factor that might have been unexpected, it, it's like a eureka moment sometimes for men and they tend to get more involved at that point. Mm -hmm. They tend to look at themselves, say to us, you know, look, at I've, I've not been going to the gym as much as I have been or, you know, I've put on a lot of weight over Christmas. Could that potentially have impacted things? Yeah, we say to them, of course, lifestyle is important, but we need to look at the overall picture of, of them as a couple with regards to what their best options are. Claire, let's come back to you then from a lab point of view because you've got the expertise here. So say somebody comes, they find out their fertility age, they find out where they're at, they tell you when their plans are, or when they would like to have a baby. You then obviously have to give them the information in terms of what they might do about freezing eggs. If this is something that's on someone's cards, they might hear from EFA, their AMH, you know, their ovarian reserve isn't, they don't have endless years to do it, which nobody does. And that's then when they might decide that they are going to freeze some eggs. What's the first kind of step in that process then? Well, the first step is to have a consultation with the doctor and they will put a plan in place then that's appropriate for you. So once we know your level, your fertility level, your AMH level, we can then determine if freezing eggs is appropriate or not. So we can make a good guess at how many eggs we're going to get. We can never guarantee that, but we do like to get at least 10 eggs um, to freeze for somebody, particularly if they're under 35. So if you freeze 10 eggs and you're less than 35, you've got about a 70% chance of having a baby from those eggs in the future. If you're freezing eggs over 35, the chances go down, so you need to have more eggs. So maybe you need to do more cycles, more than one. Most people would 
do one egg freezing cycle and see how many they get and hopefully that's that's it you know that's the guarantee for the future how many would they need then if 10 is what you need say to give you the 70 70 under 35 if i was in with you at 38 what what would what would you be telling me i should have to get that same 70 percent chance you'd need to have about 15 to 20 eggs frozen okay so you, that's so it's two rounds then of, of most egg likely okay. now if you had a good amh level maybe we could get those 15 to 20 eggs in one cycle so that's what i'm saying it's it's all very dependent on the woman and her her fertility status at that particular moment in time now most people um listening or watching will think 15 eggs you only need one but exactly. tell us maybe a little bit about the process then of what can happen to a potential 15 eggs that are initially retrieved exactly so when you retrieve 15 eggs let's say one or two of those or maybe more might be immature so in order to fertilize the egg needs to have a certain maturity level so we'll always collect some eggs that are immature so they just come from the smaller follicles on your ovaries so when we stimulate the ovaries to produce those eggs some will grow faster than others but we'll still collect all of the the fluid from the ovary to see what's in there so let's say you might lose one or two in that initial day so you might be down to 13 then we'll freeze that 13 let's say that magic number freeze those eggs and then in the future when we thaw them out we might lose one or two of those again in the freezing and thawing process because even though freezing and thawing is exceptionally good now it's not guaranteed that they will actually survive so in the future then those eggs need to be inseminated with sperm so either from a future partner or a sperm donor and then they need to fertilize so in order to fertilize the sperm and the egg dna must come together and that's completely down to nature so some people will get 100% fertilization the average is about 50 to 60% fertilization so you might be down to six or eight eggs mm. then at that stage and that's even before they start to develop so we monitor the development then for five days in the lab in the hope of getting two to three what we call blast assist stage embryos so they're your day five embryos so they're the ones that we will transfer back to your uterus so we transfer one back so you can see every time you go through a different stage you you lose numbers all the way and that's perfectly normal that's how we pick the best embryo at the end. Um, Aoife, let me bring you back in then. In terms of if somebody gets to that point and they're going for their egg retrieval, talk us through the process then of how long they can be frozen for or you know, how, long, how much time do they have to kind of consider, you know, maybe they might meet somebody or maybe they might decide to go down the sperm donor route. Is the time endless or? In terms of the eggs being stored, yeah, they yeah. can be stored indefinitely and they can be thawed out at a future date. But in terms of female age, most clinics, including ourselves, will put a cap on what age we will basically allow someone to use their eggs up until. Um, that's more to do with, you know, overall health, general well-being. There's no point looking at eggs, freezing them in your 30s and leaving them there until you're 50. You know, it, it's a conversation we have. So that's why when you freeze them initially, there's a year storage in it. After a year, you would come, well, you'd be prompted by us to either come back to have a conversation or to continue storage. And it's just to keep that, that conversation open. Um, a lot of people might say to us, I've actually met someone, we're going to try naturally for a little while. And that's absolutely fine. And they can obviously conceive naturally at that stage. So the eggs that they've got with us in storage are their insurance. 
we talked uh, before about, um, I guess, different couple makeups, and I suppose you're dealing with people a lot of the time in repro med, and I'm sure you're seeing an increased number of people who are deciding to take on this journey or go it alone. Um, is that different, say, maybe when you started working in the industry? Have you noticed a big change in that? I have, yeah, definitely. I'm about eight years working in fertility mm. now, and back when I started, it was mostly heterosexual couples, a man and a woman who'd been, you know, trying to conceive themselves for a little while, sometimes longer than they should have been. Whereas now, I think people are more informed. They do tend to look for help that little bit earlier. We obviously have a lot of single women coming through that have decided that, you know, this is something that they, they want to look at doing themselves. They haven't met Mr. Right or, you know, they, they just don't want to put it off any longer. We have same-sex couples as well who would make up a good proportion of our patients coming through as well. As, as soon as they come into us, no matter what their, you know, background is, whether they're single or in a relationship, they're all treated as the unit that they want to be treated it with. So it's either as a single woman or as a couple, be that same sex or be that heterosexual. And we look at the overall picture of, of their family unit to try and adapt our care to them. Is it common for men to freeze sperm? While there is a decline in male fertility with age, it's not as drastic as the decline in female fertility. And there are more techniques that we can do if we have a male factor problem. So if a man has a reduced sperm count or reduced motility, so that's the ability of the sperm to swim, we can do different techniques in the lab to overcome that. We can't do the same with eggs. So when we get eggs into the lab, what they are what they are we can't do anything to improve the quality or anything like that whereas with sperm we can do techniques such as ICSI that's intracytoplasmic sperm injection where we can pick a good sperm down the microscope and inject that into the egg. Um, ICSI wouldn't have been around, I say, it's a relatively new, is it, a treatment? Uh, I guess for people maybe who get news that a sperm count is very low or motility isn't great or mobility, that, that kind of it covers that off or could solve that problem. Absolutely, yes. There's so much more we can do on the male side of things. So if we find a very severe male factor, mm. then we will freeze sperm as a backup. So some men might have as low as one to two sperm per sample and it's, it gets that low, whereas a normal sperm count would be about 15 million sperm per mil of sample. So you're into huge numbers, but it can go right down. And with those men that have very, very low sperm count, we will do that ICSI procedure for them. Um, Claire, talk to me a little bit about um, when you get into the zone of donor egg, because I think probably for a lot of women, like speaking as a woman, I think that's probably maybe a, a shift in the crossroads. So, you know, you might embark on a journey of fertility. The hope probably is at the start that you will have a baby from your own eggs. And I guess you have to go on a separate journey then maybe when you realise that that's not going to happen. And then either this is something that you will want to do or it's something that you won't want to do. How hard is that? That's a very difficult one because everybody sets out with the intention of having their own genetic baby. And it is a very hard thing to accept that, okay, maybe this is not going to happen. But luckily we have the option of donor egg. So these are eggs collected from young donors in their 20s and they have a really, really good potential. So they're, you know, chromosomally, hopefully normal. You know, they've got a much higher chance of success than an egg that is 38, 39, 40 years old. Because the key to this is that we're all born with our eggs. So if you're 39, your egg is 39. If you're 32, you've got a much higher chance of success because your eggs are that much younger. And that's why egg freezing has such a good potential because if you freeze your eggs at 32 and use them at 39, you've That's got the same chances 32. as a 32 year old. Okay. Yeah. 
Um, but I guess just at that point, then you come into play in terms of explaining all of that to, to a patient, to a woman, you know, um, normalizing it as such, or at least giving the information out there that this is something that is used by many, many people. And that, that option is there for them if they want it. Exactly. And as you say, it is normalized now, mm. you know, so, so many more people are availing of this. 10 years ago, it was quite hard to access information on donor eggs. Now it's very, very commonplace in our clinic. You know, we've got a really good program set up whereby we can send out the male partners. So either if you're doing it on your own, we can either send out the donor sperm or we can get a donor for you. But all of the eggs donated that we use at Repromed are all donated in the Czech Republic. So they will create the embryos out there in their lab and then send them back to us in Dublin. So you never actually have to leave the country. So the process is so much easier now than it used to be. Absolutely. And Aoife, I'm sure the science is mind blowing for people sometimes because you guys are the experts in this. But when people come into the clinic, they probably have a very basic knowledge of I'm here because I have to be here. I'm here because things aren't working out. They then jump on a massive learning curve where you do an awful lot of research yourself and you kind of do become what you think is a mini expert. But I guess when you're telling that information to a lot of people, it must be very comforting to them. Probably overwhelming at times though as well. It can be very overwhelming. Mm. Like there's a lot of patients come into us and they mightn't even know the natural menstrual cycle and what's the best time of the month to get pregnant. And that is unfortunately true. I think kind of sex education in Ireland is a little bit lacking anyway. Um, they'll come into us, we'll have the conversation, we'll look at the whole um, system of, of how long they've been trying to conceive, have all of the options laid out to them on the table before we decide to do any treatments. So we are kind of holistic in that way in that, you know, if someone's come in, they've been trying for less than six months, they're fairly young, no obvious fertility factors. We don't necessarily have to jump straight into treatment. But yeah, down the line, the, the information starts to build. And if you are on a fertility journey for a while, you know, you'll come in, you'll get the basics, you'll start to research yourself. That will open more conversations the next time you're coming in to see our team. So we do have that nice little, we have a very small nursing team in Repromed and everyone will get to know the patients. You know, you'll know you're going to meet one of three of us when you come in. You're going to be able to have that conversation quite openly and it's in a kind of professional friend capacity at that point. I think it makes it a little bit easier when you are starting to look at jumping into those more advanced treatments, potentially looking at, you know, donor egg and those, you know, kind of advanced treatments. What are the main concerns when people get to you at this point and they're, they're on the journey? What kind of fears do you hear? Because I guess you're, you're seeing them probably the most in, in the clinic. And, the, and if there is that kind of professional friend relationship, that you're probably going to hear their worst fears. There's obviously the fear of it not working. Mm. And that's always there. And we just have to really set them up for a fall. Managing expectations is huge. Yeah. You know, just because you're coming in, you're doing the treatment, you're taking the medications, doesn't mean, unfortunately, that you're going to have success and it's to kind of cushion that like our success rates at the moment are, are phenomenal they're they're well above 60 percent across the board but that does still mean four out of ten women that walk through our doors are not going to walk out with the result they want um, i think from when they're starting treatment the fear of the medication is huge so that's why we'd meet with them one-on-one -on -one, go through all the medications you know teach them how to self-administer 
them. They're all designed that they are for self-administration, but people kind of think, oh my God, needles, mm-hmm. when in actual fact, they're all injected into the tummy. They're all very straightforward, very little mixing or anything involved, and they're all very modern at this stage. Um, the other barriers we kind of have to get over is how we scan and how we monitor. So especially if you're doing an IVF cycle, we would be scanning regularly and they're all internal scans and they have bloods done with every appointment. So if you come into us with an absolute fear of needles having to lie down on day one, probably by the time you get out the other end, you don't have any problems. <laughs> yeah, you just get used to it. It's just probably one of those things. Um, Claire, talk to me a little bit about money because this is the other thing that people will always wonder whether it's a journey that they're doing as an insurance policy like we talked about, somebody in their 30s who might decide to free the, freeze their eggs or whether it's a couple who've been trying for a year, a year and a half and they decide that they kind of know now that they're going to have to ask for help. What kind of cushion should they have? What expectations should they have in terms of how much money this is going to cost them. Yeah, it's always a big consideration Mm. for couples, as you say, for single women, anybody coming through. Um, So in general, our costs start at about €3,000. That's to freeze eggs. If you are with VHI, you get a discount in Repromed, so that's €1,000. So that is quite a significant saving off the €3,000 to freeze one round of eggs. For IVF, it starts about four thousand euros, depending on you know where what kind of you know we always call them extras. They're not really mm. extras, but you know there's different things that might Bumps be needed along for the road, I know, I guess, yeah. that might happen. And yeah. if you need that ICSI procedure, it's probably closer to four and a half thousand or five thousand euros for the cycle. So realistically, people need to have let's say a ballpark figure of five thousand euros um, to embark on a journey. In terms of medication, you talked about people having a fear of what might be involved and that it's made quite easy. Is it expensive though? Is that a concern that people have? The medications in Ireland are covered under the Drugs Payment Scheme card, which is the DPS. So that's capped. Um, There's a monthly fee. I think it's around 124 euro at the moment and basically the fertility meds will be covered in that so it does make it a little bit easier for patients to decide to go ahead when the medications are that little bit more affordable than if you were to buy them outright. The other thing I guess that people we talk about lifestyle changes and people are so busy and the age that we're in um, in terms of time off work uh, what are you kind of are you trying to give people an estimate are you trying to make sure they have a realistic expectation of how often you're going to have to see them and how they're going to put all that into their schedule we facilitate patients as much as we possibly can so we start our scanning at 8am to facilitate those early morning scans so that you can go to work and we won't delay you you know it'll be literally the scan a blood test and you're on your way to work again um, if you're having an IVF or an egg freezing cycle you can expect at least three scan appointments. So, you know, that'll be three days where you're either late to work or, you know, you do need to attend to us in the morning. But as I said, we will get get you seen as soon as possible. And the big appointment then would be the egg collection. So that's the, either when you're freezing your eggs or when you're having the IVF or ICSI cycle. You do require the whole day off for that. So that's your fourth appointment. And when it comes to embryo transfer, if you're having an IVF cycle, again, that's a very, very minor procedure. So we do those in the afternoon. So it might be a half day off work or that. So realistically, 
you don't need that much time off work, um, but we, we will you know, help you out as much as possible on that. Aoife, what can people expect to feel after one of those procedures? Because again, we have to assume that there'll be people who will be going into this who will be squeamish about certain things and wouldn't like to put themselves through certain procedures. And I know when you want a baby, you, you know, you, most people will do whatever they need to do, but I guess it's good for people to know maybe what to expect. So the egg collection procedure itself, after all the hard work that goes into it, is over very quickly. Okay. It's only about half an hour. We sedate patients for that. Now, it's conscious sedation we use, so they are awake some people do sleep but a lot of people will talk but remember nothing of what happened um, the, the egg collections are done like you would be having an internal scan and you know generally 20 minutes half an hour they're back in recovery asking is it done um, afterwards sometimes you can be a little bit queasy after the sedation because we will have asked you to attend fasting so uh, tea and biscuits as soon as you're feeling up to it before you go home and then once they've mobilised and you know are, have gone to the loo and everything seems to be back to normal they're ready to go home um, in terms of going about your normal business then after a procedure like that you're the person who'll be giving advice to people people might think do I need to wrap myself up in cotton wool do I need to not leave the house you know you're giving that advice what is it just go home and take it easy for the rest of the day you are going to feel a little bit not yourself a little bit hungover maybe a little bit kind of drunk um, is a lot of the feelings that we hear people saying that they kind of go home and kind of can't remember what's going on. Um, the next day you have to be careful as well because after you've been sedated it's 48 hours before you can actually drive again so we just kind of warn people that if they're going to work the next day which a lot of people do either get public transport or get somebody to, to drop you in. So just to bear that in yeah. mind, maybe, in terms of, of planning, it, it's out of your hands. So you might have your plan for the month, you go for a scan and you guys are saying something different, like you're ready, you're not ready, you need another day, another two days. So it's kind of, I guess, a month or a couple of weeks where I suppose the best advice is probably for people just to know that it's out of their hands and let you guys lead it and go with the flow like in terms of what you might be told on a particular appointment. So we always aim for, you know, we'd estimate that maybe mm. your egg collection is day 14, but it could happen yeah. on day 10, it could happen on day 12. As you said, we just don't know until we do the scans and that's why we have to do those scans so that we can predict when is the best time for you to have your egg collection because we don't want to collect the eggs too early and we don't want to miss it because if you ovulate naturally then all the eggs are gone so we need to get in there just at the right time beforehand and that's different for everybody and again not an exact science you know it, it very much is different things you know you could do the exact same thing one month and then the following month it might work it might not have worked and, and I guess uh, you can't explain the reasons behind that um, Eva, do you find that, um, you know, I suppose it's, it's quite a sensitive topic. I think we, do, we are speaking about it an awful lot more, which is absolutely great. But there are lots of people who will want to keep their fertility journey private. So you might be the only person that they're meeting. They may have mentioned it to their parents or one friend, but often people will keep it quiet until they know what the end result is. So I suppose for you, it's a big part of your job to be that friend or be that confidant for them. Yeah, and that is very true. And also a lot of patients won't disclose to anyone that they're going through treatment for whatever reason there's a stigma around it um, and it can often happen that you are the only one that knows what they're going through they're talking to you you know on a practically daily basis at some stage during the treatment cycle and you need to just be there for them and be able to, to guide them through as best you can I suppose we are quite well placed in that we know what we need to tell them we know what to expect so if I'm scanning someone this morning I can tell her nearly immediately okay your follicles are this size, 
you're going to be back to me for a scan in two days time your egg collection is probably going to be by the end of the week so you can give that information and obviously an absolutely like wonderful job on the good days when, when you're given that good news whether you're ringing with embryos or your you know good blood tests or whatever the case may be but I guess you probably have to dig deep on certain days when you're when you're bringing news that you know isn't going to be well received yeah it can be very hard and you know the highs are high and that's what keeps you going to work but sometimes because we are such a small clinic we get to know everyone so well it can be a really devastating blow for staff as well when a cycle hasn't been successful and we just need to really try and help the patient through that and see what we can do next and as you say success rates at an all-time high they're excellent yeah okay Aoife Corley clinical midwife manager and Claire Moran laboratory manager thank you both for joining us today that's all we've got time for in this episode of fertility matters you can head over to repromed.ie for more information to make an appointment or indeed to speak with one of the expert team or follow repromed Ireland on Facebook Instagram or Twitter for more information Fertility Matters, Ireland's newest fertility podcast, brought to you by Repromed.